good morning, LCC. Oh my gosh. Okay, I don't want to be that guy, but come on. Good morning, LCC. Good morning, there we go. Why don't you guys stand? That was that was so much better. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit. We believe that God meets us where we are at in our lives. He changes us and makes us into a new creation. And so let's join together as a group of broken people and let's praise that same God this morning. All right. All right, man. I don't even know how to follow that. That was that was amazing. It's great to worship. We just have an awesome God. Awesome God, don't we? Amen. And he's worthy of our worship today. And we want to we want to continue along this this theme of worship this morning. It says in in Romans chapter 12, um, verse one, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So our worship is is more than the songs that we sing. It's more than 75 minutes here on a Sunday. Everything that we have, everything that we have is to be offered to the Lord for him. It's for him, everything. And so I got Joe up here with me today to talk about one aspect of worship when it comes to our resources, when, we, when it comes to giving. Now, we don't take an offering around here. If you've been around here, we don't take an offering here in the service. We never have. But that does not mean that giving is not an integral part of what it means to worship God. God's made it clear that how we use the resources he gives us is important to him. He wants to be Lord over every part that we have. Now, Joe, I typically don't know who gives around here. But in your case, I do know who gives because I had to sign something one time when you transferred money from some mutual fund or I don't know. It's like an organizational thing. But um, you are someone like me who has always been interested in, in money um, likes to learn more about it and how it works, how to maximize it and so on, uh, and how to make it an active part of your faith. So I wanted to see if you could just tell us a little bit about your, your own faith journey when it comes to, to giving um, and how it's connected to worship. So. Hi, by the way. Hi. <laughs> I'm Joe. Have we met? <laughs> it's good to meet you. Um, in my young adulthood, I uh, had a different view of Christianity. It wasn't a correct one. Um, and I was also frugal, debt-free, thanks probably mostly to my parents. And uh, so I was building up money, and I, the way I used it was I lent it to friends in a secular way, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. But um, I also, I would write a check once a year maybe to the church I attended, but the, the motives weren't really, they were mixed at best. It wasn't really biblical. Um, and then I met Debbie, and she was going to a church. We like she Debbie. Was, yes, yes. Well, I actually love her. You might just like her. Um, she was, had become a Christian. Uh, she was in the transition from spender to saver, which was good for us. Um, I was ad-libbing that. I'm sorry. And, uh, but she was giving to her church regularly, and then she was also supporting a missionary who had been a former coworker who was going abroad. And she dedicated money to that by, wanted a tangible sort of sacrifice to do that. So she canceled her cable TV subscription to send that money to the friend, which is a good way to remember that you're doing that when you sit in front of the TV and you have broadcast channels. If, if you need an explanation of broadcast channels, talk to me later. So 
then we were double income, no kids. We got married later in life. So money was not really an issue. We just had a mortgage. Um, and so giving was not difficult at that time. Uh, and I think because of my mindset, generosity was sort of a spiritual gift. Debbie's is, is hospitality. She thinks food first. I think pull out my checkbook, how can I help is sort of my way, my go-to thing. Um, and then Crown Financial Services has a uh, financial counseling program. And I, at the church I was at, I took that course to learn how to help people with money problems. And lesson number one, and you've heard this before, I'm sure, it's all God's. It's not yours. You are a steward. You are responsible for it, but it's not yours. So when you give, when we give, we are not giving our money. We are giving God back what he gave us. So it's not I'm opening up my hand to give you something. It is this was yours all the time. Um, that's a picture in the parable in Matthew 25 where the wealthy man gives three servants different amounts of money and says, invest this while I'm gone. He's giving them what he wants back. And yeah. then one more thing. I'm sorry. No, keep the, going. The Luke 12 the, the scripture passage in this subject that has always resonated with me, even from high school days, where the wealthy man sa uh, says, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. I've got all my stuff in my silos. I've got it all stored up. I'm going to kick back. And then God says, you fool, this very night, your, life, your soul is required of you. So in a money situation, and I, I can't tell you how many times just in the past several months, I've that voice in my head says, you fool. That's a mic drop moment for me when God says, you're not thinking about this right. It's not yours. Um, so that's, yeah. use that you fool thing sometimes. <laughs> you, it will stick with you forever. We won't say that to you when we see you, okay? <laughs> um, in 2 Corinthians 9, it says, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So the attitude, the heart, is really important when it comes to, to worship. Have you seen, like how perhaps have you seen your attitude change over the years towards that? Well, like I said before, I had a corrected view of Christianity. My, what I gave to the church was not biblical. It wasn't, the motives weren't pure. And, well, pure as we can make them. Um, and now neither one of us is employed, thanks to layoffs and buyouts over the years. <laughs> Although I am actually employed briefly, <laughs> temporarily. So we're, we're giving out of what's in our barns more than we are out of income. I mean, the first fruits of your income, your annual, annual harvest back in the day, you gave the first fruits of your harvest. Before you spent, you gave. Mm -hmm. Well. Now we're, we don't have a lot of income, so we have to figure out what's appropriate, what's God calling us to do, which is a constant challenge. Um, I don't have an answer for that that I certainly solidified in my mind, and I wouldn't know how to advise you on that. That's between you and God. Yeah, you said earlier, which I thought was really good, is our resources are God's. That's a hard mindset to have, I think, for all of us, because like, we tend to get caught up in our budgets and 
And when money comes in, we're thinking about where it goes, and it goes out, and it seems to go out faster this, these days with inflation and things like that. Um, and we see like a pattern in Scripture, right? We see in the Old Testament there's a, there's a tithe principle, right? But, it, but th then Christ came, and it's different now. And uh, he, he fulfilled the law. He, um, he gave us some different principles to stand by, and those have to do with giving freely, giving joyfully, generously, sacrificially, and things like that. Money is this thing that's so hard to talk about. It, it, people have just a hard time talking about it. Why, why do you think that it's hard for people to, to talk about money? Well, there's a, a debate about whether people talk too much about money or too little. And I think the answer, and other people have said the same thing, it's yes. We talk too much about it in some cases and some people and we talk too little about it with other cases and other people. In my case, it's kind of hard to get up here and talk about my money thoughts because are they biblical? Am, is, am I being told, you fool right now? And then also, how will you receive it? What, how you, will you perceive me? I mean, how do I come off? And, and people have baggage from going all the way back to childhood about finances or things in their life that have gone wrong and they carry that around and, if you start talking about money with people, that can be exposed. Um, you might also have not having a lot of money problems, but you might worry about, well, what's God going to ask of me next? You know, mm -hmm. he, does he want to go deeper into my wallet? Uh, that's a constant thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's always, it's, <laughs> I, when I do premarital counseling with couples, I take out our budget and I lay it out in front of people and it always feels funny, right? It feels like, they're going to see where I spend, where we spend our money and specifically what it looks like. But it's such a good principle for us to say, listen, there's no part of our lives that should be hidden. There's no part of our lives that we can't share with each other. And we're on a journey, even in this area, to try and, um, to try and grow. And we know that, that our money is one of the truest tests of our heart. And when it comes to worship, man, it's just a, a powerful, it's a powerful thing we do to worship God by giving the resources that he's already given us. So I have a question for you. This, it's this. Joe, we've got brothers and sisters here who want to be a part of the giving team here, who want to share their resources. They don't know where to begin. And perhaps the thought is, what I can give won't make a difference, or I know I should give more, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going to. I'm not sure if I can give, so I probably won't give at all. Um, what, what kind of recommendations would you, would you give to someone who's never been involved and wants to take a first step? Well, first, uh, Jesus said, don't worry. Consider the lilies of the field. They're arrayed like beyond Solomon. Consider the birds of the air. They, they are fed by your father. He will take care of you. Your job is to seek first the kingdom, which includes giving. Um, there are a couple of other scripture passages that come to mind. One is the one about the three servants that I already referenced. Um, the wealthy man gives the three servants different, amount, different amounts of money. The one he gives the least to is not exempt from his command to, hey, invest this. He didn't necessarily say, you got to do as well as those other two guys did, but he said, that's what I want you to do. And then the the not parable, actual story of Jesus and the apostles at the temple seeing the widow 
Uh, it's Luke 21. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. I mean, that is a sacrificial response to God's command, and it's a show of great faith. Yeah, that's, that's great, and we'll, we'll stop there today. But the reason this is a part of our worship today is because it is. It's a part of our worship. And, you know, there's, there are some things we miss by not passing a plate in here, and one of them is just the reminder that this is an active area of our worship, but it doesn't need to be in a service. It can be at home. It can be whenever it happens. But um, I just want to pray for us as we continue worship, okay? God, you have given us everything we have, and we just want to say we love you, and we want to worship you, and with every part of our being, God, and that includes our body, that includes our mind, includes our our money, it includes all the resources, our time that you've given us. Um, and so we, w as an act of surrender today, even as we sing, we want to release just the parts of our life that we're holding back. We want to release them to you today. So we worship you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand and let's keep, let's keep worshiping. Good morning. How are you today? What a great time of worship, right? Uh, we are so grateful that you are here. Um, if you are watching online, uh, just give a comment or something. Uh, or don't give a comment. Uh, it should be fine anyway. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, my name is Armando. I'm Maddie Matheny. Hi, Maddie. Hi. Uh, not to be confused with Monica Matheny, our connections director, who's usually up here. But you are the new version of I am, Monica. I am. I'm the junior Connections Director. It's announcement today. Okay, Mari, I have an announcement to make today. Um, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Kind of nervous. I don't like peanut scripted. butter. This is my announcement. Yes. I'm so sorry if I am hurting you in some way. I also have a confession to make. Oh, no. <laughs> Go for it. All right. Um, this Sunday is first Sunday lunch, and it's bring your favorites. So if your favorite's peanut butter, Armando is in trouble. But, uh -oh. <laughs> but so we can bring anything. We are just happy to share, just bring lots of food so everyone has enough. But we're just excited to get together, make connections. Food's my favorite way to do that. So, Are you cook good cooking? Food, I like eating food. But not making food? Yes, eating food is my favorite way to connect with others. What is, your favorite, you what is your favorite food that you say, hey, I go for this? Anything pasta related, anything with lots of carbs, anything that wouldn't necessarily be recommended to be put into your body, I usually <laughs> enjoy. <laughs> okay, if you bring a Big Mac, just ask Mari next there week. You uh, there you go, there you go. for the. Now, uh, another announcement. After the service, we have intro to LCC. Uh, if you are new around here, or if you want to learn more about what we are doing or where we are going, we want you to hear from you and that you hear from us. Uh, after the service, just stay here, uh, and Dan will be leading this. And then our final announcement. Um, we're praying for our team in Honduras right now. Um, they are return March 4th. I was just there in July, so I know how amazing, but also hard and exhausting sometimes just being on mission can be. 
Um, it's just praying that they are getting all the supplies they need, that they feel fulfilled, and that they feel um, that God is sustaining them through this week, and that they are just feel the love coming from our church and from all the people praying for them. So just continue your prayers as they're there this week and for their safe return home. Okay, this is the announcement that we have for this week. We are going to ask questions at the end of the service to see if you remember what we say. <laughs> okay? <laughs> now, uh, just last, uh, kids, follow Mari. Oh, She's yes. JR is right there, and I will meet you in this kid's life in just a moment. <laughs> okay, enjoy the rest of the service. Tom, this is your moment. All right, good morning, good morning. I'm glad to be here with you. My name is Tom. I am uh, I'm the uh, teaching pastor here at, at Life Community Church. If you're new around here and you've been here the last few weeks, you would say, like, you're the teaching pastor, where you been? And, um, well, last week I was actually homesick, but, um, but usually when I'm not, I'm not teaching, I'm, I'm here with us. Like, it's, um, we, have a, we have a team approach to teaching. We, we, we just don't believe that... Um, that the role of, of teaching our body is, is uh, the role solely of one person, but we believe it, comes, it flows out of our body. And so um, I'm glad to be with you today, and we are in a series in the book of James. Um, we're in a series in the book of James, and there's a lot to cover um, because we are, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground this morning. So, so if you've got a Bible and you want to turn to James, the book of James is towards the, the back of your Bible. It's one of the last books of, of uh, the New Testament, the Second Testament. Um, and, and we're going to be in chapter 2 of the book of James. And, and the book of James, um, it's written by, it was written by a man named James. In all likelihood, it's not. If you're familiar with, with the New Testament, it's probably not the James that was closest to Jesus in his ministry of, of James and John, the, the two brothers. Um, but, but this was an early leader in the church. Um, it, it may have been the brother of Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, had, a, had a brother um, named James. Uh, but whoever this was that wrote this had been a leader in the Jerusalem church, and he addresses it, he addresses it to um, the, the, those of faith in Jesus, but who are scattered abroad. They're, they're out and dis they're dispersed. And so this is this, the map of Israel in the first century, and you can maybe see the red circle in the middle. And what happened was with persecution in the first century there in the Jerusalem church, um, they spread out all over the place. And so what what was once, like, honestly, like, probably the first megachurch that said there were thousands of people who were coming to faith in Jesus, this big, huge church in the city of Jerusalem, um, and, and, and they were gathering together regularly, and they were, they were sharing, and they were, I'm, I'm assuming they were meeting in homes, like, that would have been typical of that period of time, but then persecution comes, and they're forced to go out, and now they no longer have, like, these big corporate gathering times for all those people, so they're sending writing. They're sending different writings around, and we are looking at <clears throat> here this over th this 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 uh, string of months. We're looking at the book of James, written to to those people of faith in Jesus who are spread out. And today we're going to look at a couple different sections in James chapter two and chapter three. Okay, James chapter two and James chapter three, and we're going to start at verse fourteen. So James chapter two, <clears throat> verse fourteen, and it starts with a really challenging question. Okay. A really challenging question. If you've been around church or faith at all, this is, this is a really, really difficult question. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to frame everything that we discussed this morning. Okay? 
James writes, and he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he, says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Okay? What good is it if someone says that they have faith but there's no works? Okay? And he asks this question. He says, essentially, is that person saved? Okay? Now, there's a lot of loaded theological language in here, right? First off is, what does it mean to be saved? Well, saved is, saved is rescued from the penalty of my sin. Like, I have, there's a holy God who has created me, but my sin has separated me from him. And if that doesn't change, I stay separated from him forever, okay? We believe that that ultimately leads to an eternity separated from him that we commonly refer to as hell, right? And so, can I be saved if I just if I if I have faith, but but there's no works? And I think there's a key word in here. What good is it, my brothers, if look what it says, if someone says he has faith? What good is it if someone says he has faith? <clears throat> but then there's nothing, there's no no works, there's nothing going on. They say it, but there's nothing to really show it. Okay? And that's the question that's going to guide where James goes over this next string of verses. He's going to try and answer that question for us <clears throat> as clearly and emphatically as he can. And it's a critical question. It's a critical question. <clears throat> do I have to do something? Are there, are there specific actions? Is, is there something going on that, that I've got to do? Is there something that I'm missing? And I want to know where he goes from here, so let's keep reading how he answers this. Verse 15, he goes right into this scenario. He says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? Okay, so he draws an illustration, but then he says, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So what he says is, like, there's a real need that this person has, okay? There's a real need that they have. And it's a physical need. And there are words that are given to that person in order to maybe try and comfort them. But those words don't actually address the need that the person has. They're hungry, right? They're, they're, they, they, they're, they lack their daily food. And, and apparently there's some cold, like be, be warmed. They're, they're, they don't have the clothing they need. They have very real physical needs. And he asked this question and then says, so here's the deal. We also have spiritual needs. There's real spiritual needs. In the same way there's real physical needs, there's real spiritual needs. And words don't adequately cover our spiritual needs in the same way that words don't adequately cover our physical needs. That's the first thing he draws. Keep reading, verse 18. But someone will say, this begs a question, right? Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works, James says. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Look at what he says. He says, you, you have, he says, we set up this dichotomy. We separate these two things out. We say there's faith and there's works. And one person says, I've got faith. And the other person says, yeah, but I've got action. I do things. Okay? And James is, 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 enters into this argument and he says that, like, here's the deal, like, the, the faith that you, like, the, the, the words that you say, they matter, but, but on their own, they don't adequately cover the problem. 
He says that the, the demons believe, the demons have the same knowledge. The demons trust that there, that there is a, a one, one true God. But that in and of itself isn't saving faith. That in and of itself doesn't bring them to, to righteousness. He says, so a couple things he's sort of getting at here. Works, he's saying like, like our works and faith have a relationship, okay? You catch the middle? Show me your faith apart from your works. But he says, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. So his argument is that, that the, our works, what we do, our actions reveal, okay? They reveal the truth in our words, like what we're saying. Without action, words alone don't reveal much of anything. I can sort of claim any number of things with my mouth. But until I act upon it, until I act upon it, have I really trusted it? Okay? So we got to keep reading. He's going to say more here. Verse 20. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Now, remember his audience is to Jewish people who had, who had been in Jerusalem and had accepted Jesus and are now dispersed. So he's writing to a Jewish audience. He's going to give a couple examples from their scripture. He says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Do you want more evidence? Here's the deal. We have an example in Abraham, and, and this is, this is uh, recorded in Abraham's story where God tells him to take his son up, up, up on the altar and to, and to Isaac on the altar and to sacrifice him, which was completely contrary to everything that Abraham knew about the God who was real. Now, all the, the false gods, the foreign gods, they do that. They offer, they offer their children as sacrifice. But God says to Abraham, if you trust me, take Isaac up there and do it. If you have faith, go do this. And so, as the story goes, Abraham goes up onto the mountain. Okay? He takes Isaac with him. They go, get all the way to the point of the altar where Isaac is on the altar and, and, and the dagger is in his hand ready to, to, to thrust it down and to take Isaac's life before he stopped. And James argues and he says the, the point of the story is that Abraham followed through on his faith in God. Okay? He followed through on his faith in God. Abraham, his professed belief in God, but it, he was justified, he was declared right by following through on his internal belief and so he says this, you see that faith was active along with his works. Faith, faith had action, and faith was completed by his works. What Abraham did, what Abraham did followed through on what Abraham said. Abraham said he believed God, but in actually going to the mountain and actually making, offering the sacrifice of his son, and, and, and again, God's, God stopped that moment, but, but in doing it, Abraham showed his faith, and, and it says the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So you see, he's arguing that there's this, this step that Abraham took that in action that fulfilled, completed what Abraham said, okay? So Abraham said, I believe in God, but by, by taking the action, it was fulfilled. Keep reading, because it goes on. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Not, it's not works or faith, but this person is justified by the, the works and the faith. In the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. This is as the, the children of Israel are coming into the Holy Land. There's this prostitute in the city who, who takes in the messengers from, from the Israelites, protects them, and then, then sneaks them out of the city and gives them intelligence, and she was saved. And, and and it, it, 
yes, she was kept, like, her, her, her action in doing this, her action in doing this is what James says completed or fulfilled, accomplished her faith. Was, it was the action, right? And then he wraps this section up with this. He says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So he draws this distinction that would have been really important to them, okay? This distinction that would have been very important to them. You see, they, they defined life as the body and the spirit together. My physical body plus my spirit makes me alive. That's what it means to be alive. And so they would have defined death as the separation of those two things. So, so someone died the moment that the spirit left the body, which we tend to make this a biological thing, right? Like when the heart stops and the brain stops functioning and all of those things. But they would have said, they, without, without all the tools available to them of, of modern science, they, they would have said that the answer is, and, and, and I would say this is still the truth today, that there is a spiritual component to life that our spirit lives on even when our heart stops, right? I don't cease to exist simply because my heart has stopped beating. So, so they would say death is the separation of these two things, okay? When the spirit and the, and the body are separated, okay? So just as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Yet, look what he says. If, we, if our words and our action are separated, if what we say doesn't, isn't combined together, isn't meshed up with what we're doing, we have what, what James is calling here a dead faith. It's not, it's not real faith. It's a dead faith. And I, I can hear, like, some of these things that James is writing should, are, are going to trouble us, right? They're going to trouble us. Because, like, we, we have this, and, and, and John covered this a few weeks ago when he was talking through this, but, like, we have these, these sections of Scripture that talk to us about, about um, it's, it's God's grace plus our faith that, that saves us. But also, Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he says, yes, so the, but there were good works prepared for us to do. Like, th- there's works, even in Paul's vision of salvation in Ephesians 2, there's work that goes, that comes as part of the package of salvation. And some might say, yeah, but when we say these things, aren't we judging who's saved and who isn't saved? And Jesus said, don't judge. And I do, yes, like Jesus said, it's not mine to judge. It, it, it isn't, okay? But Jesus also said that in that same passage in Matthew 7, where Jesus says, don't judge, lest ye be judged. Ten verses later, he says this. I just want to read through this. It's a bit of a longer passage, but I want us to make sure that we understand that what James is saying isn't just James freelancing here on ideas about faith and and works and salvation. Look at what Jesus himself said. He said, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Like, this is argument, right? Like, like, like a, a grapes come from a grapevine, okay? Figs come from a fig tree. A rutabaga comes from a rutabaga root, okay? Sorry, that was just for one person, okay? You're not supposed to do inside jokes up here, but that one was too good for me to pass up in my house, okay? But he, Jesus goes on. He says, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. So he says, look, there's a connection between the, the, the prophet, the speaker, the proclaimer, 
there's a connection between what they say and what they do, and he doesn't stop there. Verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of my heaven, but get this, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Catch this? So James isn't saying anything. Oh, well, keep going, sorry. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, Jesus is introducing us to this, to this fact that there's, there's doing and believing, and they exist in a dynamic with one another. And there will be people who do religious things who don't really believe. But he's also stated that there will be many people who say certain things, but they've not done the will of of God. They've not really lived out what what God's asking them for. And so James is, he's he's basically like summarizing the very teaching of Jesus when he says, as a body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Like the two things, the two things are not distinct from one another. It's not like faith undoes works. They live in a dynamic with each other, okay? So there's faith and works. Like, there's a, there's a dynamic and a tension between the two. And what I want to do is, I, for a few minutes here, is I want to kind of pull them apart a little bit, okay? Pull them apart a little bit to help us try and understand this, this tension that exists between them. Because this is, this is, this is really difficult, Okay? We just talked about giving, and it can lead to things like, do I, if I don't give, am I not saved? Or do I have to, I, ha- I have given, so I obviously am. Well, wait a minute, that's, there's more to this than just a checklist of things to do or not do. So we need to make sure we understand. So I want to pull these apart a little bit and try to understand them. Um, and, 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 and I want to start with this. What happens when like, works become really big and faith really small? That's not necessarily James' issue. Like, he's not necessarily focusing on that in the passage. But what happens when, when works become really big and, and, and faith becomes really small? And it's, it's possible, and maybe this is a common problem, that we, we make following God all about the works. That's an error to be made. Okay? That's a mistake. Okay? And, and so we don't inwardly really trust God. We're just sort of doing religious things and, and anticipating that because I'm doing these religious things, that that makes me right with God, okay? And so we've sort of, we wind up eliminating faith, and we're just working, and we're counting on the works to get us into a right standing with God. This is what we call legalism, okay? There's a name for it. It's called legalism. And it was the traditional problem of the Jewish faith. Like, this was, this was what the law, legalism, it's an emphasis on the law. They, they had all of these works that they were doing, but their hearts were far from God. Right? Their, their hearts were far from God. And so Jesus entered into that, and he resisted it with the goodness of the gospel. Right? And so there became this emphasis in the early church on, on you have, there has to be faith. And Jesus says, like, just a little bit of faith can move a mountain, right? The mountains of our lives get moved. We've looked at that recently together. And you're, bear with me here. I'm going to try and break this tension a little bit. It's meme time. See this guy's legs? It's like, like legalism is doing the bench press and the curls and skipping leg day. Maybe? No? All right. But the point being, it's, it's possible to work out certain areas of my life, but skip over other things. 
I know, it breaks down really terribly. Let's, so let's go this way, okay? Because this is, this is in James, and I put quotes on this. Like, like James is talking about, like, faith. I, you say, someone says they have faith, okay? They say they have faith, but there's no works. Works have been so de-emphasized. He wants us to see the opposite of the legalism that it's, it's possible that we've gone so far the other direction that we say, like, no, 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 there's no, works have nothing to do with your life once it's found in Christ, that there's nothing expected of you, that there's, there isn't a, a right way to live. And that can get taken to the extreme to the point that works become so small that they're maybe even eliminated in our life. And we just say, it's just me and Jesus, man. It's just me and Jesus hanging out at the lake. It's just me and Jesus doing our own thing, burning through Netflix. It's just me and Jesus, and I'm just doing my work. I'm, I'm just working my 70 hours a week so I can make that cash. It's just me and Jesus. And we start to define faith as just this, it, it's just this internal thing. We, we, we bring it into that zone where we go like, it doesn't have anything to do with my life. Okay? But there's a name for that too. It's not legalism, it's hypocrisy. Right? It's hypocrisy. It's saying that my life is found in Christ, that he is my Lord, but then it's not submitting to the way that he would have me live. And what James is arguing is, <laughs> it gets worse, okay. This guy <laughs> remembered leg day, okay, but skipped, never mind, okay. So, but the point being, okay, the point being, the point being is that faith and works, okay, Faith and works, when we start to understand them rightly, they're not two separate things. You with me? Did you catch it? See what we did there? I worked hard on this. Acknowledge me. Okay? It's a new Greek word. Okay? You have to really, really get into the ancient language to get this one. What James is arguing is that you cannot pull faith out and works out and call them two separate distinct things. It's, they, they go hand in hand. They're one and the same. There's, there is no separation between them. They're, they're interwoven. Okay? They're interwoven. And that's the argument that he's making. Is that it's, it's not faith or works. It's not if I have to choose one or the other. No, that's a false dichotomy in life. We don't, there is no choice to make between faith or works. The choice that we make is to follow Christ, which leads us not just into to things that we profess, but into a way of life that we live. It's an invitation to follow him, to walk where he walked. As Dan just read, Paul, Paul says it to, to the Romans, to make ourselves our, uh, living sacrifices, okay? That we live this way. And we want to look at where James goes next, okay? I want to look at where James goes next because I think that this actually ties this idea in in a practical way for us to see. So in chapter 3, you got your Bible and you're with us and you can see it up on, on the screens, but... In chapter 3, he says this. It seems like it's really disconnected, okay? But I think he's continuing the thought. He says, not many of you should become teachers. Some of, maybe some of us should have taken this more seriously, okay? <laughs> not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Okay? Greater strictness. Because look at what he says next to tie this together. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, did you catch this? If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. But look at, look at the emphasis there. He says, he says, be careful before you decide to be someone who talks about your faith. Someone who does a lot of talking about faith. Because it's really easy. It's really easy for the mouth to cause us to stumble. Right? Remember where this started? Like, you say, what do you say to the person who says they have faith? And now he's transitioned to, be careful for those of you who are in a, in a place, in an active, an active role where, where you are talking about, you're saying things about faith all the time. Because here's the deal, right? Like the mouth has power. The mouth has power. It's... That the, the mouth, like the bits in the horse's mouth, it, it controls like our, our words. Like our mouth can, can control the direction of our life. It moves us one way or another. It takes us into different places. He goes on and gives another illustration, verse 4. He says, look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided by, by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things. So also like a ship, like a bit in a horse's mouth. It, 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 the mouth, like we're going to go in the direction that our mouth is pointed. But similarly, the big and mighty ship, everything in life can be, can be uh, steered by this tiny little rudder. So this small thing, the mouth, is very powerful. It's very powerful, and he goes on. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. He's mixing his metaphors here, right? So from ships to fires, a great forest can burn down from just a tiny little spark of a fire that is the mouth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, our body parts, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. He says, and set on fire by hell. Ooh, the f like our mouths contain the very fire of hell. It's, it's a pow small but powerful component of our, of our lives, of our bodies. He says every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. See, he started with, we say certain things about faith, and we, but we also say other things with our mouth. Our mouths do more than just profess. And we, we have tamed lions, but we can't tame the tongue. So be careful what you say. Be careful when we start to proclaim faith. Be sure that our words match our lives because the, the sin of hypocrisy is real. And it's strong, and it can take us down. It can burn our lives down. He says, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. So catch what he says. Okay? He's, he's turned from, he's turned his attention from this idea of faith and works. Someone says with their mouth that they believe. But their life isn't reflecting that reality. It's not the, the sin of legalism. It's the sin of hypocrisy. It's saying, using my mouth to say I follow God, but my life doesn't match. And now he's turned his attention to this idea. Look, he says here, we can bless the Lord with our mouth, but we also, we also curse others with our mouth. We take those made in his likeness, the thing in our life right around us that best represents who he is. Because creation reflects God's glory, but that person sitting next to you or across from you, they bear his glory, his image, and we use our mouths to tear them down. So he says, like, the tongue is a fire. That's a nice graphic, right? I didn't spend as much time on that one. But it's a, it's a fire. The tongue is a fire. And what it creates is this sort of smoke in life, right? It creates this smoke around us. Where, where of course, like where, where we can be crude. We, can, we criticize others. We gossip with this mouth. I want to skip sarcasm, but, right? Like, we use our, our mouth to try to, to try to angle to make ourselves look smart. We're dishonest with it. We justify, right? That word just is such a, such a dangerous word. I was just or I am just this way. You have, to excuse, you have to excuse me. I'm just a blunt person. No, you're a jerk, right? You're a jerk who thinks that you can just say whatever you want, Okay? We curse others with it. We, we wish ill on them. We humiliate. We backbite. You see, he's, he's arguing that there's this disconnection between when we, when we claim the name of God and then use our mouths in this manner, we're, we are the hypocrite. And, and he says tongue, but I think it's only because they hadn't seen the smartphone yet, right? I think, it, I think we could plug thumbs into this too. The things that we post with one another or say to one another behind the veil of, you know, whatever our internet muscles of the day might be doing. So then he says, he wraps up this little section with this. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Right? right? Like, does, is, is it possible that a life of faith can have flowing out of it evil. And then James, I think, takes the exact same words from Jesus, right? From Matthew 7. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No. Like, what, who we are will come out of our lives. You see, springs are going to produce what's in the well underneath. That's what's going to come out. And so professing one thing and yet doing another, is, it's, it's not real faith. 
And so we get to this place and we're confronted with, a, I think, a very real and difficult question. Because the, 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 my issue, I look at this and I go, yeah, I say, I say garbage all the time. All that, that whole cloud of, of smoke around my tongue is real. I do all of those things. Do I really have faith? And it's a fair question that we ought to ask ourselves. Jesus' warning about judgment is real, to not judge others. But I tell you what, the New Testament challenges us constantly to examine ourselves, to test ourselves. So it's wholly appropriate for me to read this and start to ask myself some tough questions. Do I have real faith? If my life is inconsistent with what I say I believe, am I okay Am I okay because when I was a little boy I said a prayer? Or because in my youth I was, am I okay? Does that, is that faith? Well, there's got to be some connection in my life, James argues. And I think he argues based on Jesus teaching himself. So, so where do we go? Well, the first step, I just want to say this, is, is do you care? Do I even care about the question? of whether or not I have faith? Or do I just want to push it aside and go, of course I do. There's a Bible on my shelf from when I was baptized as a child. Of course I have faith. Or do I want to say, like, of course I have faith. I'm a regular giver. Of course I have faith. I'm in a small group. You see, it's not just about doing the religious practices. It's about living a life consistent with Jesus as my Lord. And he gives us, James gives us two examples of things to care about that are consistent. Remember what he said at the beginning, do you care about the poor and the needy? This was the first example he gave. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Do we care about those around us? Do we care that others are in need? And are we willing to do something about it? That is, that is a life that is consistent with the values of Jesus as my Lord. And not just lip service. It's the only thing, but it is a thing. Do we care about it? Do we care about our mouths? Do we care about our words and the way we use them? Remember, he said this. Every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Look at what he says. This is not the way it ought to be. This isn't the way it ought to be. Because a spring doesn't bring forth both fresh and salt water. What's in the well comes out. What's inside will be revealed on the outside. Can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, like we will produce the kind of fruit that reflects who we are. And so we ask, we ask, do we, if, do we have faith? We, it's, it's okay to ask. It's okay to reflect. It's okay to open our scriptures and ask, God, do, does my mouth match my life does it do the things that come out of me reflect the kinds of things that are, that, that are found in you that are true in you 
And where those, there's disconnection, we ought to heed the warning that James gives us of hypocrisy. It's not real faith to say I, I'm following God and then to ignore him in my life. To not listen to his words. To pretend it's all fine when it's clearly not. Will you pray with me? God, we just, um, well, I, I confess, God, that it is so much easier and simpler and I feel safer to ignore your harder words. And I, um, I ask God that as you, um, as you show us who you are, that, um, that we wouldn't keep you at a distance, but that you would, you would come home with us. That we'd reflect on our lives truthfully and honestly and ask the the difficult questions to try to determine whether or not our, our faith in, is in you or if we're just kind of going through the motions. Because God, your, your words are powerful and they convict us. And God, um, I don't want it to be true, but I also acknowledge that not wanting it to be true isn't the same as trusting you. And so would you, would you help me? Would you help us in our faith? Would you help us, help us to, to hear your voice and to respond when you call us? To say yes when you've asked us to care for those around us. To, uh, to hear your spirit when we open our mouths to speak consider how you would have us use our mouths because we know that the way that we speak reflects what's what's really true inside of us and so god we we praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done and that that through you you make the impossible possible and so we trust that that you can tame our tongues that you can help us here and we want to submit to you and so we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Yeah, let's yeah, praise God. It's, we say it just about every week, but it is such a privilege and a blessing to be able to wor worship with you guys every single Sunday. Uh, and for those of you who are new or maybe you've been coming to LCC for just a couple of weeks, and you want to hear more about what's going on around here, stick around after the service. Come down here for Intro to LCC. Everybody else, we'll see you in your small groups. Have a great week.